Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think at the core, <laughs> I love I love adventure and I love being outside. That's one of the things that I really enjoy about running is that it takes me places, you know, and it gives me an opportunity to explore. I love that I can go for a run and get a feel for for the life in a specific area, you know, and, um, and that is what I love about being in the outdoors as well. There's just something very, very grounding. That's very invigorating, um, and spiritual, I guess you could say. Um, and at the same time, it reminds me of just how small, you know, I am as a human in this vast world. And so, and, and I think I also naturally have a curious spirit. And so that combination is what really made me, like made my heart leap <laughs> when Myrna first, um, you know, spoke the invitation into, into reality for me that like, yeah, I want to go out there. I want to have my, you know, Julie Andrews, the, the hills are alive moment, you know, running across the Rocky mountains. Like, I love that. And I mean, I feel like I'm, you can hear me smiling already as I'm like talking about this, just envisioning just, I, I love, I love being outside, you know. Women's running, running, running. Running stories. Hi, my name is Carolyn Sue. I am a Chinese American and I'm a mother of two. And I am the creator and founder of the Instagram platform Diverse We Run, where every week I feature an athlete, a runner who is a person of color, and I share about how our racial background, our cultural background, our ethnicity shape and influence not only our entry into the sport, but also our experience, our lived experience in the sport as well. Yes, in this episode, we are featuring Carolyn Sue. She is the founder of Diverse We Run, and of course, she is also a runner. And her running took a new direction on one fateful day when she indeed received an invitation from her friend Myrna to participate in the multi-day trail running stage race, the Trans Rockies. Up to that point, Carolyn's running had been focused on the road, and in fact, she had never run on the trails. That invitation, however, sparked something in her curious, adventurous spirit, and that is what we're going to hear all about in this episode. 
But before we hear more from Carolyn, I want to welcome you to Women's Running Stories. We are the podcast where women share stories about their running experiences. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am the host and producer of Women's Running Stories. And if you're new here, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are returning, I appreciate you coming back. And for this episode, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to hear how Carolyn Sue went from being a non-trail runner to a trail runner. And central to the story is this event, the Trans Rockies. Here is Carolyn Sue. So I did not have, I feel like my knowledge of the event was pretty limited, aside from the fact that I knew it was through the Rocky Mountains. And I had one friend who was invited to participate in it uh, through a sponsorship with Under Armour back in... 2019. And um, I uh, did an Instagram takeover for her on Diverse We Run as she shared photos and videos of her experience going through it. And seeing that was incredible. And seeing her just like traverse these beautiful, you know, mountain ranges and the terrain and getting to experience something like that, that seemed so remarkably adventurous. I mean, it was it was like my first exposure, I think, to to this type of event. And so she did the 3-day version of the race and and I remember thinking to myself as I was, you know, helping her share her story and her videos and whatnot, I remember thinking, "Wow, that is so cool and I wish I could do something like that." But I'll I'll never be able to do that. <laughs> and I don't know why that was that was just my default response. Like I immediately just discounted myself from ever being able to participate in an event like that. Like not even like the idea of participating wasn't even an option for me and I I didn't even it wasn't a conscientious thought. It just was like the automatic natural response, (laughs) like admiration of my friend, but then an immediate like, yeah, but I'll never be able to do that. Of course, as it turned out, not everybody shared the same outlook. In December of 2020, a good friend of mine, Myrna Valerio, which I think most people know of her as the Myrna Vader uh, on Instagram, social media, and just out in the running fitness trail world. Um, so the Myrna Vader, Myrna, she she extended an invitation for me to participate. Uh, she has been working closely with the race directors of Trans Rockies for several years, ever since her first experience participating in the event back close to, I want to say, 2017, 2018. And so she called me up in December and I don't, I honestly still to this day, I should probably ask her, but I don't know what made her think of me, but what, for whatever reason, uh, Myrna thought of me. And so uh, she gave me a call and asked if I would be interested in participating in the 2021 Trans Rockies event. And Immediately, of course, you know, I thought back to my other friend who had who I did the Instagram takeover for, Allison, and my immediate response was, yeah, like I definitely want to do this. 
in my heart, I was on board. <laughs> and then my brain was like, wait a minute, Carolyn, what are you doing? Then I had to step back and kind of think about, okay, I have no, I have no idea how to even prepare for something like this. I've never done a trail race before, let alone a multi-stage point-to-point <laughs> trail event that's high altitude in the Rocky Mountains. How am I going to how am I going to even get ready to do something like this? And at the same time, I had been recovering from surgery. I, I had surgery at the beginning of 2020 on my right foot. I had an accessory navicular bone. And so all of 2020 was spent, you know, not only recovering from surgery, but rehabbing, doing physical therapy as best as I could on my own, of, of course, again, because everything had shut down. And I was like, I don't, am I, I'm not even running right, <laughs> right now. And uh, you're inviting me to race through the Rockies? I don't know. And so I, I wanted to talk with my coach first, of course, to, to see if that would be a viable option. But ultimately, what really pushed me to agree to take this invitation to participate was representation, representation of, of Asian Americans, uh, representation of being a female Asian American out in the trail world. Uh, because it's just as much as I think the running world in general um, likes to believe that we are very inclusive or accessible for everyone and anyone. It just simply is not. Based on the history of our nation and also based on the history of how our sport even came to be, um, and also based on the history of what has happened to people of color out in trail wooded forested areas it's just simply not not historically a safe space if you are a person of color um and especially then in 2020 with the rise of anti-asian uh sentiments and um and hate crimes that had been recorded as well as all the hate crimes that were not recorded. Um, there was a huge spike um, of anti-Asian hate crimes. And and so there were a lot of, I felt like there were a lot of risks involved. Um, but at the same time, I felt like it was that much more necessary for, for me as an Asian American, Chinese American female mother to take up space and to be there, to take this opportunity um, and to show others in the Asian American community um, that, that the outdoors and that this trail world is also for us and that we can participate in things like that so that there's not anyone who is like me in 2019 seeing my friend you know, participate in this incredible event and then immediately discounting myself from it. So that is how I first set forth in training and preparing for this event. Prior to participating in the Trans Rockies run, I really, I have never... I had never participated in any kind of trail race. I only started training 
on trails because of because of the event itself like in order to get ready but prior to that um, I think my only experience on any kind of outdoors you know type of thing um, was just going on short basic hikes with my family um, since we moved here to the New England area back in 2013. I definitely, (laughs) I admit that I want to say maybe the first several months of practicing trail running, I constantly felt very nervous uh, being out in these wooded areas by myself. Already as a female, whenever I, even when I went out for early morning runs here, in the neighborhood area when it's kind of like just barely light outside, you know. Um, I've always been someone who's very, very conscientious of my environment and surroundings, which is really why I don't I, I don't like running with any kind of music or podcast just because I wanna be I wanna be aware and that I also don't want to seem vulnerable. Um, and in 2020, like I said, with the rise of more, or I should say the resurgence of anti-Asian sentiments, I was very on guard um, and oh, and concerned for my safety anytime I stepped outside for any reason. <laughs> um, and it used to be that prior to 2020, I would want to run in areas where I knew there would be more people because I felt like if anything were to happen, uh, that I could shout for help and there would be people around. Um, But then during 2020, I wanted to avoid places where I would run into people because I was just so nervous about what people would say, like the the racial slurs and the animosity um, that me, my family and other friends already, even in the Boston area, you know, that we had already been experiencing because of the anti-Asian rhetoric that was being spread at that time. Um, and so it didn't help then uh, that I would have to go train um, by myself (laughs) in these wooded areas um, where there would be no one around or maybe an occasional (laughs) person here and there that I would see. And it was always this like internal, I don't know, internal debate, you know, of, okay, I think I see someone up ahead on the trail. If, if they, it was like a, I had to, play out different scenarios. If they say something to me or if they try to do anything to me, how am I going to react? Where am I going to run? Where is my phone? Where is my, you know, like the different, what safety devices do I have? How am I going to respond? And then if they don't say anything to me, great, we'll just keep going on our way. But there was just this constant heightened sense of okay, be aware, pay attention. What is that sound? You know, like, what was that movement? And, um, and that, that definitely, that takes a toll. And it took many, many months for me to practice being on the trails and feel a little bit more 
a little bit more relaxed and comfortable. Little by little, Carolyn was adjusting to the trail environment. She was totally committed in her training and to running the Trans Rockies. Now, at the Trans Rockies, runners have a choice between a three-day event and a six-day event. The three-day event covers 60 miles, and the six-day event covers double that. Carolyn was entered in the latter, the full six days. So I had no idea what to expect. And it was, it was really, I was really nervous, you know, walking onto the campgrounds the day before the race. And it was honestly very reassuring to see uh, some faces of people of color. And before Colorado, before I had arrived, I did get connected with a group from Harlem Runs. And so Harlem Run, predominantly, you know, people of color, uh, the whole, the run running group itself, you know, in New York. And so then their athletes were all people of color as well. I think they had like four or five people there. And so, um, I had already connected with several of them. And so it was definitely a reassurance to see their faces. Um, when I first walked into the campsite, um, I mean, there were hundreds of tents already set up because this whole race, it was, it's point to point. So every day you're camping, camping there overnight, and then all the runners set off and then the staff break down all the tents and then move everything over to the finish point for that day and set up another campsite where everybody stays overnight. And then we do that. (laughs) So that also was like, a very new thing for me. And I was nervous. I'm like, my family, we did not grow up camping. Camping is very uncomfortable for me. (laughs) I don't like as much as I love being in the outdoors. I also, I also enjoy being able to get a good night's sleep. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so, you know, walking onto the campsite that day was like, wow, okay, so I'm here. This is real. We see the mountains, you know, in the background behind the uh, the whole village of, of tents set up. And then I see familiar faces from Harlem Runs. And that definitely helped put me at ease a little bit more. And um, everybody was like, you know, nervously excited about being there. Um, and, you know, I got all my, uh, I got my bib and, you know, found my tent and was able to just like slowly get everything situated and set up. And it was just, for me, I just wanted to mentally give my myself the space to get my bearings. So every evening there was a little like history lesson about the land that we would be going through the following day, um, as well as kind of a, uh, kind of like a rundown of what to expect as far as weather, terrain, and any kind of special gear that we may have to prepare for. So that was like our evening meeting that we would have. And so before day one, you know, we had like the whole welcome ceremony and then a brief history of of the land. And during that, it was very interesting because so 
Before flying out to Colorado, I was very intentional at looking into um, the, the native indigenous tribes and like whose land that actually belonged to because I wanted to honor and acknowledge the fact that like we were able to participate in this type of event because of the indigenous peoples who stewarded and cared for the land before before us, you know, um, and and so I looked into that and learned that, you know, the portions of the Rocky Mountains that we'd be going through, you know, belong to the the Ute people as well as the um, Arapaho people. And I looked up, I, I found different books that then like were written by um, Native, like the Native people who inhabited the area. And, and I just... I wanted to spend intentional time um, to, I think, see the land and life through their eyes. Um, and in small, in, w- in a small way, I felt like that was like a way to kind of to, to honor them, you know. And so that was kind of my mindset going into things. And so when the history lesson started, I guess I was just kind of expecting something along those lines or at least acknowledging you know, uh, whose land we were on. But instead, the person running the meeting, you know, he talked about how great it was that um, the government of or the state of Colorado, quote unquote, gave back, you know, large portions of land to the public to make it free public space for anyone to be able to access and use. And, um, and then, you know, everyone was applauding the state of Colorado for doing so. And, and it was surprising for me because I wanted to say like, well, but it wasn't really the, the land didn't really belong to the state of Colorado to begin with. It was taken from from the indigenous nations who existed here before they were forcibly removed but you know i didn't say that out loud and it just was something that immediately made me uncomfortable but i was just like okay that's okay let's just roll with it and so that was kind of like one thing that i felt like emotionally internally i just I, I don't know. It was one of those things where I was like, does anybody else know this? Is anybody else aware of this? But then at the same time, talking to myself like, okay, well, Carolyn, is that something you you can give your capacity to thinking about right now? If not, you need to focus on getting ready for the race, you know? But at the same time, it did make me wonder and think, are there any runners here at this like 300 person event who are Native, um, Native American? And like, if so, what are they thinking and how are they feeling um, to have their history erased, you know? Um, So, but then, you know, like I needed to compartmentalize and set that aside because I needed to get ready to participate in this event. And so, um, you know, that was kind of not to sound like up and down, but that's really a lot of my, my mental emotional experience at this um at this race it was very much like up and down and up and down because it would be up with with all the excitement you know and anticipation of being able to like 
be out in nature, but then it would go down <laughs> when experiencing something like this. Um, or, you know, later, uh, actually uh, during the first day at one of, at the very first aid station that my friends and I approached, there was a white guy wearing a huge Afro <laughs> and, and like one of the Latina runners next to me asked him, do you think it's okay for you to wear, wear that? And this guy was immediately like, yeah, because my daughter has really curly hair like this too. And so I'm fine with it, you know, but then like the, the black woman who was running with us, she just didn't say anything and we kept going. So, you know, there are things like that where it's like up and down and up and down where it, like one moment you're immersed in this incredible race experience, you know, but then the next moment you're hit with the reality that either your, your people's history is disregarded or your culture is appropriated um, and made a costume of, you know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. To be sure, Carolyn Sue's first trail event experience was proving to be up and down. But going back before the racist encounter at that first aid station, the start of stage one, that was an up moment. When we all gathered uh, the morning of day one, I was feeling amped up. Honestly, I was excited. I was like ready. I wanted to do this. And um, definitely, you know, like the first, oh, how many how hours? I don't remember. But like first several hours, I would say I was like, yeah, like running along, chatting it up. But and also I think the women who whom I um, was with were were wonderful company. And they were um, from both Under Armour as well as Harlem Run. And um, and we just chatted about everything under the sun, you know, our experiences as being women of color in the sport and um, what that was like anywhere from, yeah, like seeing that one guy at the aid station, <laughs> you know, in the Afro, from that to things things like why it's so difficult to find clothing, you know, running clothes that fit properly because majority of brands you know, the, the, the models, um, and the measurements that they use are really just catered to, um, like Eastern European, you know, standards. And, but if you're more curvy or if you're more, you know, just like different or your hair is different, you know, like, or your nose bridge is different, like, it's just hard. It's challenging to find even basic things like sunglasses or hats, you know, that fit properly, let alone like 
the right shorts <laughs> that can fit right without chafing, without falling, without all this stuff. But yeah, it was it was a really great time. And definitely after <laughs> after like 26 miles, I was feeling a little, a little bit tired <laughs> and and um, feeling the elevation. I mean, uh, feeling the altitude a little bit, you know, um, because Boston, where I'm from, is sea level. And <laughs> Colorado is not. And, um, but it just, it was a great, I want to say it was a great first day, you know, and I was very, very relieved, uh, to see the finish line, uh, finishing, you know, shoot area and felt incredible relief. You know, um, I, I like lay down in the grass afterwards and just breathed in the fact that I just did something in amazing. So day two was was a tough one, and it's known to be some people call it the hardest day out of all of them. Uh, day two is you know mileage wise was very short, only fifteen miles, <laughs> but the first three you're you're going straight up in elevation. So day two, you're climbing Hope's Pass. And I I wish I could remember the elevation gain right now off the top of my head, but it's it is just you're basically going vertical <laughs> for two, two and a half miles. And also that night slash early morning, a storm was passing through. So as a result, the ground was very, very muddy, and the the path up Hope's Pass uh, was single track. So that just means it's enough for one person at a time to be going up. It's not wide enough for even two people to be side by side. And so I can't even tell, like, I, two and a half-ish miles doesn't sound like a lot when you're just road running, but going up that mountain i can't i don't even know i felt like it was in a we spent an eternity that day just trying to slog up the mountain where to my left was the mountain wall you know and then to my right immediately was just this like drop <laughs> and uh, and everything was muddy so we're all you know every step that you take you're kind of like sliding down a bit because of the mud and we all have our trekking poles that we're using, you know, to try to make sure, you know, we, it's just helping this keep us stable as we're going up there. Everyone's got their like rain gear on and, um, and it's very quiet. <laughs> it was very quiet. And in the meantime, you know, the air is just getting thinner and thinner. I was definitely struggling. I was having a hard time breathing. I felt like every breath I had to, <sighs> like that, you know, to get up. And, um, and it was, it was really difficult. I got into a really dark, dark, dark space, dark headspace of, um, of feeling very defeated. And, uh, as I had to keep leaning aside to let people pass me. And I think it took me five hours just to get up hopes pass. <laughs> and the name of that is really ironic to me because it's like, there is no hope. I'm going to die out here. Uh, but a highlight I want to say through that though, was um, there were, I, 
I befriended two women who also were um, were kind of on the tail end, I should say. I think we were one of the last few people who crossed the finish that day after eight hours. But there were two women out there, Courtney and Peg, um, whom I ended up climbing the mountain with them. And it was, I, I loved it. I mean, I loved becoming friends with them. And it was one of those, you know, like, I guess you bond in the midst of struggle and we struggled <laughs> together. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, everyone's like, I mean, we were like telling our like deepest, <laughs> deepest, darkest, like secrets, like bearing our souls to each other. Cause I don't know, like something happens when you're just like in such a state of like vulnerability, <laughs> climbing up that dang mountain <laughs> and, um, and then eventually being able to make our way down. And we were able to cross that finish line. You know, we, we like linked arms <laughs> crossing and it just felt like this huge, huge accomplishment that day. And, uh, yeah, and I just really appreciated their their presence and um, and their friendship. And then there was a part of me that was like, oh shoot, this was just day two. I have four more days. Like, what am I going to be able to do this? And I and I texted my coach, you know, that that night of like, I can't, I cannot imagine how I'm going to survive and make it through four more days, you know, and, and, you know, she reminded me like one day at a time, like, do not like, we, we don't want to think about the whole staircase. We just think about the step in front of us. So it was like really a practice in living in the moment, being present, you know, and just really focusing on, okay, eat, get a good night's sleep. And then, and then that's it. And tomorrow will come when tomorrow comes. <laughs> well, so for day three, yeah. So day three, um, I woke up feeling feeling good, and that was a that was a big relief as well. I woke up feeling refreshed, and my legs surprisingly didn't feel like lead, and so I was like, okay, okay. We can we can do this. I I can do this, and um and day three thankfully was not a climb like Hope's Pass. And you know so many people were like, if you if you were able to survive Hope's Pass, you got it. You can do the rest of the race. You know, and um day three was the terrain was a lot more similar to day one, and so that was also you know reassuring for me. And, um, and I started, I, I had an early start, um, ever since Myrna, um, started working more with the race directors. She, uh, she was able to establish what's called Dawn Patrol, which is, uh, basically for people who feel like they're going to need more time on the course than the allotted like eight hours or so, then you can get like a one hour I think it's a one hour, if not two, but I think it's one hour head start. And so I started with Dawn Patrol and I felt good. And we started at Leadville. So Leadville, which again is known for being like the highest point <laughs> in the country. So the air was pretty thin and um, several miles in, you know, we are, I mean, just because it wasn't a hopes pass type of mountain didn't mean <laughs> there was no 
snow mountain. I mean, we are still going through the Rockies. So um, as the first first climb started and my breathing started to get more labored again, it did make me, it made me panic a little bit because I was like, uh-oh, like I don't want a replay of yesterday. But I was really just trying to, again, once again, it's like, okay, one step at a time, just one step at a time, Carolyn. Okay. Like take your time, breathe. And, uh, let's just, we're just going to do one, one step at a time. And, um, that helped, you know, uh, and I got to the first aid station, but was definitely feeling really raw and emotional already. And, um, (laughs) out when I got to the first aid station, um, one of the, one of the photographers, you know, could see that I was struggling and, um, and he was like, Hey, do you want to maybe like, do you want to go say hi? There's, there's a golden retriever who is there. Like there was a couple who like, they brought their golden retriever out every year to go and like cheer for the runners. I think they're locals. And so they would go and kind of be like a part of the support at the aid station. And, um, and this golden retriever, she, she was older and, and I found out like she had, um, she had cancer and it was going to be her final year to be out like spectating. <laughs> and, um, and I bent down and was like petting her and I was saying, you know, who's a good girl. And then as she lifted her head, you know, into my palm to like receive my pets, I don't know what it was. I just start, I just burst into tears and I started crying and was like, you're a good girl. <laughs> you're such a good girl. And, and I'm like squatting there, like weeping, petting this dog. And like, I don't know, it was just this very, surreal moment of just once again, like I thought, I thought I was already laid bare the day before, um, at Hope's Pass, but, but no, there was more vulnerability to be had. (laughs) And, um, and then I got up and, you know, hugged a few people and then went off on my way for the second portion. And, um, and day three, I think the total of that was also 20 something like 26 miles as well. And as I was heading towards the final aid station that day and going through um, the mountains, I could tell my my feet, my ankles, things were kind of giving, giving way. Um, I almost tripped and like fell a few times and... Um, and then I was starting to feel like the early signs of um, plantar fasciitis, uh, which I had experienced, you know, years before in the past. And um, and so, I mean, I was definitely like run walking and just giving myself kind of the space to think through, you know, what I was doing. And um, and I recognize like, you know, I think I think I'm reaching my body's limits beyond which I'm sure I could push, you know, and push through the next three days. Um, But for day three, definitely, I was on track for finishing once again, like at eight hours. Um, And I, I knew that if I was going to continue and try to do the full six days, I was likely going to take eight plus hours every day. Um, And 
And I had to reflect over what was my purpose? What were my goals, you know, um, in coming out to participate in the first place? Was it to say that, yeah, I, I did this six day thing, you know, this event and, or was it, um, was it for different reasons? And I was able to identify how, you know, one of my main reason for coming out here is for representation, you know, and it's to show people like me in my community that we can do, we can do hard things like this, you know, that the outdoors is for us. And, and at the same time to change the, the norm, you know, the accepted norm at the time of who, who belongs and who shows up at the start lines, you know, of these races. And did I, and I asked myself, like, did I accomplish these things? And the answer was yes, you know, I did. And I, I have. Um, and so it helped me to realize, like, I didn't, I didn't need to force my body to complete six days simply for the sake of completing it and then potentially re-injuring myself, um, and really just wrecking my body. Um, and so it was, you know, out on the, out on the course that day that I came to terms with that and I genuinely felt peace with it. Um, and I, I definitely kept going that day and I, I, I walked the last four miles to complete the, the day's event. And then I, I spoke to my coach, um, and, and I told, you know, my, my other friends, my new friends, you know, there from Harlem run and under armor that like, I wasn't going to, I was just going to leave with everyone who was doing the three day, you know, um, and I wasn't going to fully finish. I wasn't going to finish the six days. And, um, and I, I, and I appreciated, you know, everyone who was like, you know, still wanting me to to complete six days. And I understand like everyone's point of view of where they were coming from. Um, and just trying to like, make sure that I wasn't going to make a decision that I was going to regret. And I appreciated that. Um, but definitely after I got back, you know, um, after I left, I had a phone call with my coach and, and, um, and I told her, you know, like, I'm proud of myself for recognizing my body's limits, first of all, because Historically for me, that's, that was not like, that was not something that I did. Um, as, as a daughter of immigrants and growing up in an Asian family, it was all about like, you, you just continue to grind. You continue to, you push, um, and you push through the pain, you push through the difficulty because that's how my parents had to survive, right. In establishing a new life here. And, um, and it was always about like excellence, pursuing excellence, finishing what you started, following through with your commitments. And like, there's nothing like you don't take no for an answer. Um, but that mentality is what got me injured multiple times over the course of my running life. And that mentality is what has caused, you know, uh, caused me to have panic attacks and mental breakdowns <laughs> because of it. And so it really was a huge, huge point of progress for me 
to have been able to recognize, like, I think I have reached my body's limits. I recognize what my, what signs and signals my body is telling me. And I have confidence and peace in saying, I don't need to keep pushing myself to this arbitrary endpoint. And so, yeah, like I finished, you know, even though I started out with the intention of participating in all six days at Trans Rockies, I called it at three days and I'm super proud of myself for doing that. You know, I think back to the Carolyn in 2019, uh, who admired from afar uh, the friends who uh, ran on trails outside. And, um, and I think about how I would look at the different running magazines and see the photos, you know, with the majestic mountains and trees. And... Um, and how I felt like I was on the outside. But then now, being able to feel the kind of familiarity and comfort that I have, like the eagerness and enthusiasm I, I, I feel when I go out and in wanting to like invite my family, invite friends to participate in trail runs with me, it's so different and I love it. You know, I love that too. And that is going to bring us to the end of Carolyn Sue's story on women's running stories. I want to thank Carolyn so much for coming on the podcast and sharing this part of her running journey. And I also want to thank her for all of the work that she does through Diverse We Run. Carolyn is also the co-host of a relatively new podcast called Making Strides. And on the podcast, she and her co-host, Stephanie Flippin, who is also Asian American, the two of them, they have conversations about the experiences of underrepresented and marginalized communities in the running world. Please go give it a listen. In particular, I liked a really recent episode called Barriers to Entry, and they talk all about trail running. So I will link to that in the show notes. And yeah, go give it a listen. Subscribe to their podcast. They're doing good work over there. In the show notes, I will also provide ways that you can keep up with women's running stories. I thank you so much for listening, and I would really love it if you would rate and review the show wherever you listen. I also want to mention that this podcast is part of the Evergreen Network of Podcasts. And I do not make this show by myself. All of the original music that you hear comes from Cormac O'Regan, and he makes that music in his studio here in Cork, Ireland. And I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am your host and producer, and I am coming to you from my home studio closet, also in Cork, Ireland. And until next week, I wish you very joyful, very healthy strides forward. Women's running, running, running.
running, running stories. stories. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.